before we read 1 Corinthians 7, turn with me, please, to a passage of scripture that I'm looking for. Well, where did I put it? Oh, here it is. Yeah. Turn to Genesis chapter 2, please. So I was, I was um, up late last night, and um, I was supposed to, I had a meeting in between a meeting, and I missed it because one meeting went late, and the only time we could reschedule was 6.15 this morning. It was a premarital counseling appointment, 6.15. I've never done that before. Um, a precious couple, and you know, at 6.15 in the morning, you're trying to just wake up. But left there realizing, as I'd shared with them in preparing for tonight, how significant this topic is of what we're talking about. And I looked at them and I said, why did God create marriage? And they pondered it and they thought about it. And I said, well, let's, let's take a look. And so we're going to do that tonight. And then we're going to go to the questions that Paul is faced with. But it's important because everyone, no matter if they're Christian or non-Christian, they're going to be hit. Listen, they're going to be hit. We're going to be hit. The world's going to be hit with this one issue. And God knew it. He knew it. Genesis chapter 2, verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth and all the hosts of them were finished. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because in it, he rested from all of his work, which God had created and made. And after each day, he would say, and it was good. And it was good. And it was good. Everyone say, and it was good. All right, here we go. This is the history of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens before any planet, etc., etc. Drop down to verse 7. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils a breath of life, and man became a living being. The Lord planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. And the tree of life was also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now a river went out of Eden to water the garden, and from there it parted and became the river heads. And the first was Pishon, and the skirts, a whole land, Havilah, there is gold. It goes all the way down, verse 14. The name of the third river was Hedekel. We go through all that. And then we come to verse 15. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying of every tree of the garden of Eden freely, eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat uh, for in that day you eat, you shall surely die. And here we go. Pay attention. Everyone's dealing with this. And the Lord God said, now this is the garden of Eden. There's no sin. Got it. Hello. And everything he's created has been, everything he's been created has been, And the Lord God said, it is not good, what? That man should be alone. It is no fun watching a sunset by yourself. (laughs) It's no fun not having anyone to call when something exciting happens or when something miserable occurs. It's not fun when you don't have anyone whose shoulder you can cry on or a shoulder that you can lend to have them cry on. We're, We're relational creatures. We're created in his image, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The Godhead is relational. He's created us to be relational. It's not good that we're alone. It's not good that we're alone. If you take counsel within yourself, Proverbs says, you end up alone. You're selfish. God wants us to engage with others, an exchange of ideas. 
God wants us to interact with mankind and to challenge one another and to be moved by one another. He created us that way. He didn't create us to build enclaves and walls and, and not have access to humanity. He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Disciple the nations. Didn't he? He didn't tell us to, hey, build churches and hide in them. I, I read it and I haven't seen that anywhere. It's not good that man should be alone. I will make for him a helper comparable to him. Out of the ground, the Lord formed every beast of the field, et cetera, et cetera. Brought them to him. He, he named them. And whatever and Adam called each creature was its name. He gave names to all of them. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him at the end of verse 20. Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam. He slept. He took one of his ribs, closed the flesh in his place, the rib of the Lord, et cetera. Brought her and he named her a woman, which is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. I've said this thousands of times. It's a Hebrew idiom for uh, he was just moved by her. And then the scripture says, therefore, verse 21, uh, 24, therefore, a man shall leave his father, mother, be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. They were both naked, and the man and his wife were not ashamed. Naked meaning they, they didn't have any shame. They weren't afraid of each other. Their, their, their lives were open and transparent. They had no secrets. Uh, physically, they, they didn't have any shame. Uh, they hadn't sinned. There was innocence. And God gave this gift, and the two become one, and it, and it, it is a, a, a picture of, of, of union physically, emotionally, spiritually. Uh, all of this is, is entwined in, in, in this picture. But the point is this. It's not good that man should be alone. Now, with that being said, the, I told the couple, it's not good that man should be alone. And as we studied in our previous study, um, prior to Pastor Brett's teachings, we remembered to... Uh, to render the affection due. And we saw the pictures of the elderly couples holding hands, right? Remember that? Yeah. You get to the end of your life and that's the idea. That's the idea. But that only comes in one capacity. We have to find ourselves, first of all, content in the Lord with the ability to lay our life down as he laid his life down for us. He teaches us how to serve. He teaches us how to yield. And then, if we're not given the gift of singleness, which it does exist, but if you have a longing to be married, then the Lord is preparing you to lay your life down for another. Now, as I told this couple, I say, marriage isn't a 50-50 proposition, it's 100-100. And you're giving your life away, you're laying it down as Christ laid his life down on the cross. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, you lay your life down. And in laying your life down, the response is, God, you gave me your life, I give you mine. And then the two become one, having the, having the same love, being of like mind, let the mind that was in Christ Jesus be in you, Philippians 2. Okay? Now that like mind is this idea that you have somebody that you completely relate to in life. But here's the problem with mankind. And I told this couple, I said, you're going to give your life away. You're going to take down all the walls and say, this kingdom is yours. And we covered, ten, uh, render the affection due. It's not your body, it's, it's hers, and it's not her body, it's yours, men, women, right? So we're supposed to just yield our lives, but here's what happens. You say, I do, you testify, and you spend the rest of your married life taking back that which you gave away. Oh, nobody treats me that way. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You died. How can you offend a dead man or a dead woman? Oh, you don't understand. She's not the woman I married. Well, you're not the man she married. What, 
What difference does that make? Now, I'm not talking about staying in a relationship where you're being abused. I'm not talking, I'm not talking about any of that. Please understand that. I'm talking about a relationship where it's, it's just honestly two lives trying to die and, and become one. And everyone who enters into a marriage has a little thing I like to call a sin nature. And you have to suppress it. You got to kill it. And, and, and is that fraudulent? No, it's commanded by the God of the universe. And you want to have an inroad to transform a culture? Let them see by your fidelity and this gift that God gave. And it's the only estate that survived the fall of man in the Garden of Eden, marriage. And so these Corinthians come and every family is messed up. Every one of them. They, they, are, they are on the tail end of the Corinthian sexual revolution. And they've got every deviance you can imagine. And the church is actually taking the deviance to a whole new level where the pagans are like, we haven't even done that yet. And the church is like, we celebrate it. Sound familiar? The church in America celebrates deviance. So where's the difference between the world and the church? And Paul says, I want to answer your questions. They are having honest questions. How do we engage the culture? How do we affect the culture? And so they ask these questions. And so Paul responds to each of these questions. And that brings us to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, long introduction. And I know you loved it. Now to the married, and, and you may be separated, But to the married, the covenant you made, to the married I command, yet not I, but the Lord. Paul's going to give his opinion in a couple of areas, but right now he's saying, this is the Lord. He says, a wife is not to depart from her husband. And then he says, but even if she does depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. And a husband is not to divorce his wife. Jesus said, in the cases of adultery, you're permitted to leave. And if you aren't divorced or you leave for other reasons, you commit adultery. And everyone thinks that's the unpardonable sin. You're going to go to hell. Um, branches of the church through, through time have stated that to be the unpardonable sin. It's not. And there's folks in here who've been a couple times divorced, a couple times married. You're not going to hell. You've lived through that. No, I'm kidding. It was a joke. You, (laughs) the idea is, the idea is God hates divorce and there's a number of reasons why, but he permits it. Why? Because we all stink at suppressing or dying to our selfishness. And he knows what happens when we become selfish. We become alone. And life gets hard. But you look at the two and you think, well, if I die, that's hard. But being alone, and after a while, you look at the two and you're like, I don't know. And, and, and God, you know, s- certain segments of the church would say, you're in adultery if you've divorced and remarried if it wasn't for, adult, if it wasn't for adultery, uh, you know, infidelity. And you need to leave the spouse you're with and you, you can't be reconciled to God unless you go back to your original spouse. 
And, and I, you know, there's relatives in our family that have been three times married, twice divorced, and they're supposed to leave their third spouse and go back to their first. And I don't even know if they're still around. And I, that's insane. That's not what, what we're dealing with here. But God does hate divorce. Why? He hates it because he knows it's bad for us. Again, it's bad for us in issues relating to, I mean, it, you, you, divorce is a good thing if you're in an abusive situation. You understand this. But in this case, where it's just simply selfishness and two lives trying to rebuild that which they've taken or given away and taking it back. So he says that. He says, you're not to divorce your wife and you're not to divorce your husband. I, God, I don't command this. God does. So just, I don't, I don't have to, I don't have to parse the text. It speaks for itself. And I will pause for emphasis because the divorce rate in the church is very high. The divorce rate first time around is 40%. 40 percent of marriages end in divorce. Second marriages, 63% end in divorce. Third marriages, 77% end in divorce. Because it just becomes less and less important. You get like Elizabeth Taylor, there's just, you know, or who, I don't know, is she still living? I, I can't remember. <laughs> now we pick up at verse 12. But to the rest, I, not the Lord, say, if any brother has a wife who does not believe, and she's willing to live with him, let him not divorce her. What's happening here? It's a little thing I like to call evangelism. The church in Corinth, people are coming to Christ. They're married. They're both pagans. They come to Christ. And one starts to adhere to the scriptures and the other's like, why don't you drink anymore? Why aren't we partying? Why are you remaining faithful? And, and I'm going up to the temple to ply the trade and bring revenue for Aphrodite. Why are you so burdened by that? What's happened to you? Where's the player that I used to know? And so you have two conflicting ideologies. One worldview has changed and the other is still there. And they're, they're hitting. And Paul's saying to the, to the believer, I know that you've come to Christ and your spouse isn't walking with the Lord. If they want to remain with you, work it out. Stay with them. You don't go, you know what? I've converted to Christ and we just don't see eye to eye and I'm out of here. Paul says that doesn't work. If they want to remain, you remain. You have, you have covenanted and given them your life. And he says, let him not divorce her. Same thing, let her not divorce her. And a woman who has a husband who does not believe, if he is willing to live with her, let her not divorce him. You just don't divorce because somebody doesn't believe the way you believe. I know a number of folks in the church that are married to folks that aren't, aren't Christians. I get a kick out of the one joke. Uh, the little girl goes to her, her mommy and says, Mommy, um, where, where did man come from? Where did, what's our lineage? Adam and Eve and then the gent and went all the way down and, and God created the man and the woman in the Garden of Eden and then we're descendants of Adam and Eve. She goes, but daddy says we descended from apes. And the mom says, well, you take up dad's side of the family with him. <laughs> <laughs> Two conflicting worldviews, right? 
and you want to raise the children in accordance with, you know, creation and the spouses over evolution and, and uh, we want to pray, but no, I'm not into prayer. And, and well, we want them to go to Christian education. Well, I want to go to secular education. Conflict. Is God bigger than that? Can he work through a public school? Can he work through? I mean, these are things that, and, and, and you really want to die. You're going to spend a lot of time praying. Because you have a mission field, you have a spouse, you have children, and you want to separate over ideology, it's more devastating for you to separate for your children than it is for you to remain together. I'll cover those statistics momentarily. Verse 14, for the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband, otherwise your children would be unclean, but they are holy. Sanctified means set apart. It's a unique family. There is a presence of Christ in the relationship, though 50%, it is still there. And the children have testimony to it. Daddy and mommy, and I watch mommy who loves the Lord, serving God on her knees, praying, serving her pagan husband, doing the things necessary to make this work. The children are observing this. And, and there's a sanctification, a setting apart. The children are watching it. God is seeing this covering. He's honoring it. Reverse. The man is the believer. The wife isn't the believer. Same thing is occurring. But you walk in and you go, this is not the way God operates. Get out. The kids are like, mommy, 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 daddy, daddy, daddy. And God is saying, no, that's not what you do. The children are at stake. Nobody thinks about kids in a divorce. They do, but they don't. They do, but they don't. Verse 15, but if the unbeliever departs, let him depart. A brother or a sister is not under bondage in such cases, in, in such cases, but God has called us to peace. I am not living with this Christian joke any longer. I'm going to miss you. Well, I, I, I want nothing to do with it, and, and I'm out of here. I'm taking the kids. We see it all. Can I appeal to you? I can help you with the kids. We, we can work this out. Can we mediate? Can we? I'm leaving. I can't stop you from going. Right? And that's one of the things that I said to, to Assembly Member Lowe. I said, nobody in any church I've ever participated in has forced anyone to come into the church. I've never forced you to respond to a call to Christ. And I've seen people respond to a call to Christ, and I've seen people walk away after having responded to a call to Christ and go back into the world. They, they came in and they left. They walked with the Lord and they don't. Can it happen in the community in which you reside? They come in, they go out. And, and do you force them to come back in? And, and no, you will be excommunicated. Just throwing that out there. Verse 16. For how do you know a wife, whether you will save your husband? Cause God's called us to peace. For how do you know a wife, whether you will save your husband or how do you know a husband, whether you will save your wife? The idea is, <laughs> is anybody working in a job where your supervisor isn't a professing Christian? Could you raise your hand? A few of you. 
anyone involved in the course of your day where you're engaged with anybody, walking with somebody, participating in commerce with somebody that isn't a Christian, can you raise your hand? Good. Some of you are getting out. That's great. Are there any of you that never get around any Christians? The point is this. You have been placed there strategically by the Lord to minister to them. That's your calling. That's your mission field. You're, you're, this, this, is, this is the flight deck of the aircraft carrier. I'm the captain of the aircraft carrier. Your fighter jets have come in. I'm patching you up. I'm refueling you and sending you out to go out and, and, and contend in a, in a profound way. Well, guess what? It can happen that you've been placed in a marriage where you are the one who's going to be witnessing. And I got a really great way to witness in a marriage. Pay attention. It's really awesome. This is how you witness in a marriage if you're a Christian. So good. Die. Do you, do you realize what a powerful testimony you have to the person who's there? What were they doing when he was like this? They're spitting on him, mocking him, ridiculing him, pressing every button. What did he do? Interceded, prayed, loved him, poured out every drop. Well, that's God. I can't do that. No, you can't, but Christ can. You die, let him live. He'll show you. That's your mission field. Well, I got a bigger calling and I, ministry's hindered if I, no, it's not. You don't have any ministry. Yeah, let, me, let me correct that. The most important ministry you possess as a married person is a ministry to your spouse. Everything else is secondary. But as God has distributed, verse 17, has distributed each one as the Lord has called each one, so let him walk, and so I ordain in all the churches. Was anyone called while circumcised? Let him not become uncircumcised. Because they were asking a question, well, some of us were circumcised, some of us aren't circumcised. Are we supposed to be circumcised to be Christians? Because some of the Jews were circumcised, and they're believing Jews or professing Jews or proselytes, and some of us came out of the Greek culture, and we weren't circumcised, and we're not sure because... Is this something because the Jews did it and we're wondering if we're supposed to it? And Paul's like, no, no. He's saying if you're circumcised, then don't be circumcised. Not sure how to do that. And if you're, <laughs> and, and if you're uncircumcised, don't be circumcised. He just, he lays out the answer to their question that it's irrelevant. And then verse 20, let each one remain in the same calling in which he was called. You're wanting to worry about a physical thing, and I'm telling you about a spiritual ministry to your spouse, and you're, you're wanting to, to parse the stupidity of, am I supposed to have some sort of a scar on my body? He says, let each one remain in the same calling in which he was called. And I love this. Look at verse 21, especially for those of you, look at me first, especially for those of you who are saying, I can't handle my job now that I'm a believer. This is an awful place to work. This is a terrible place to live. This is a, this is a, just fill in the blank. 
And, and, and I got to move out of this state or I got to, if you're not called, don't go. Because we're here to serve. Nobody would ever go on the mission field if we wanted to live in a comfortable place. And Paul says, let me help you, Corinthians. You love this enclave of the church. You great, get great comfort on Sundays and great comfort on Wednesdays. And we have potlucks and we have fellowship together. And, and it's just a lovely place. Then you go home to your pagan spouse and, and the kids that are divided between ideologies and having to deal with the public schools in Corinth and having to deal with all the promiscuity in Corinth. And then your relatives that don't believe and fighting for their rights that are contrary to biblical principles. <laughs> talking about my own life and, and you're dealing with all this and, and you say, and, and my job's terrible. Okay. Look again at verse 20. Let each one remain in the same calling in which he was called. And then he adds this. Were you called while a slave? Let's pause again for emphasis. I don't care how bad your job is. I mean, I do, I do, but in the same regard, I don't. And what I mean by that is everybody's got a tough lot in life. There's been jobs I wish I never had, but I needed. There's bosses I wish I never had, but I needed. And he says, were you called while a slave? Yeah, I don't know what you're doing, but the idea of slave here is you're working all day for somebody else's benefit. Well, yeah, I was. I was called while I was a slave. Am I free from that? Look at the follow-up of the question. Do not be concerned about it, but if you can be made free, rather use it. For he who is called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freedman. You know what he says? You're not a slave, even though you're a slave. I've asked you to remain there. You're my freedman. I've called you into that arena to make a difference. You're going to minister to all the slaves. Who else is going to do it? Who else is going to reach them? You're working for me. Here, here's one of my favorite pictures on that. And we'll, we'll bring it back to marriage. When the Bible says, wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. And I've said this often. I, I can't think of a, of a perfect man on the face of the earth. And, and there are times, if not many times, that a wife will say, he is not worthy to submit to. And I will say as a man and as a pastor and as a husband, ladies, I'm in full agreement with you. The problem is, you're not submitting to the man, you're submitting to the Lord who's telling you to submit to the man. And the Lord is worthy of submission. He's perfect. And if you're in a slave operation where your job is tough, you're not submitting to the boss because he's worthy to be submitted to. You're submitting to the Lord who's worthy. And he wants you to be there for that purpose. This is how you change culture. This is what Paul's having you do in Corinth. Do not be concerned about it, but if you can be made free, rather use it. Verse 22, for he who is called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's free man. Likewise, he who is called while free is Christ's slave. So if they set you free, you're still under, under submission to the Lord. You're somebody's slave. You're a slave to righteousness or a slave to sin, a slave to disobedience or a slave to obedience. You pick the, the master. And then he says, <clears throat> verse 23, you were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of men. What was the price that we as Christians were bought with? 
the blood of Jesus. That's, that's pretty valuable. One drop of it. Can you imagine what it did? It cleansed the world of sin and he poured it all out. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of men. You know what a slave of man is? You let him push your buttons. I was, uh, I was sitting with somebody today and they were talking about how their family life is difficult on and on and on. And, and I, I said, I was sitting across from him in my office and there was an ottoman there. And I took my foot on the ottoman and I pushed it over where they were. And they put their legs up and they said, thank you. And I go, yeah. I didn't kick it over so you could be comfortable. I kicked it over because you got a barrier in front of you. And if I get, if I ask you to get up out of your chair and come over to me, that's in front of you. What are you going to do? Go around it or over it or through it? I'd probably go over it. Okay. So you've been sitting here telling me that these are all the reasons why you can't succeed. You've made everyone an issue but you. Why are you letting them control your life? God gave you hands. I said, what is money? It's a representation of your contribution to society. You're not contributing. You have no money. You want to be different? You want to walk and be free? God gave you the ability to worship him through your work ethic. Get up. Walk around. Do something. Quit making everyone the excuse why you can't succeed. Let me repeat that. Quit making everyone the excuse why you can't succeed. I take drugs because my parents. So you're a slave to your folks. They don't, they don't understand me, so I don't. Okay. So you're allowing whatever they're doing to control you. That's your excuse. You're a slave to no one but the Lord. And he says, I have set you free from the law of sin and death by the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. You're more than a conqueror. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But we make every excuse why we can't succeed. And Paul says, don't be a slave to a man. I've given you the freedom to to excel. Brethren, verse 24, let each one remain with God in the state in which he was called. You're free and work is unto the Lord. Verse 25, now concerning virgins, I have no commandment from the Lord, yet I give judgment as one whom the Lord in his mercy has made trustworthy. He's saying, I'm doing my best to figure this one out. Let me answer this question for you. You want to know about virgins? Let me answer this for you. I suppose, therefore, that it is good because of the present distress that is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be loosed. Are you loosed from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But even if you do marry, you've not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she's not sinned. He's saying, look, you're struggling with desires and you're struggling with this. I, I don't want you to suppress certain desires. They're there. You don't want to be alone. I've given you this, this physical expression to, to, to be together for life. Render to one another the tender affection due. I've given that to you. You don't have to suppress that and walk around with a black robe and a wheelbarrow full of rules going, oh, this Christian life is awful. Uh, it's, it's to be celebrated. There's exciting things. And, and, and you don't have to remain, you know, with the nun habit. You, you get to marry in the ministry. It's kind of cool. I'm happy. Otherwise, I wouldn't be in the ministry. But if you do marry, you've not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she's not sinned. Nevertheless, such will have trouble in the flesh. 
but I'll spare you. Paul says, look, if you want to be married, get married. I just want to tell you, you're going to have troubles. It's hard to be alone, but if you have that kind of a relationship with the Lord where you have this peace and you're content in your uh, loneliness, not alone, but loneliness, and, and the Lord in this relationship, is a, it's a gift that you're okay with it, you're unbelievably effective. One of our missionaries, Karen, uh, travels the world. And, and she had come out of the lesbian life and, and came to Christ and never been called to marriage and, and has the gift of loneliness. And, and she, is, she can go here and then she's in Nicaragua and then she's over in Germany and then she's, she's everywhere. She's, she's down in Mexico and she's building this thing and she was a foreman and she's, and she's a smile that just melts the room and she'll drop in and show up and she's just amazing. And she can travel on a whim and go over here and do that. But if she had kid, if she had a husband and she had kids, it, she'd have responsibility. She doesn't. She can travel. And Paul, Paul lost his wife. We don't know how. She may have abandoned him. She may have died. We don't know. We assume possibly abandonment because he states that. But he's saying, I hate being alone in some respects, but God sustains me. But I got news for you. When I'm getting kicked through the streets like a soccer ball, I don't have to worry if my family's going to be taken care of or if they're going to come and hunt my family down as they're trying to persecute me or they're going to kill my children or they're going to hold them. I, I, I can do this intense stuff without worrying about being a covering and a protection for my family. I, I have a number of freedoms to be able to present the gospel around the world and, and I'm not held up. And he says, you're going to have trouble in the flesh. And not only that... When you're married, your spouse is just like you. They're irritating. And your children, don't get me started. And you get to certain ages and you just, you think, I wanted to make a difference, but look at them, what they've done. (laughs) Michelle and I had a, an intense day on, I don't even remember what day it was. Maybe it was Monday. Yeah, Monday. Monday. All hell breaks loose on Mondays anyways. It's, you know, when you're most tired, that's when the enemy comes in. He doesn't wait for you to be, I'm ready for you. I'm totally rested. He comes at you when you're just wiped. And he just slaps you around and mops the floor with you. If you're, and, and it was Monday. And, you know, it just went from restful to insane like that. An insanity that I haven't seen in a long time, and I'm, I'm part of it. We're all engaged, and it, it, it's, it's spiritual, and it, and it was it was deliberate, and it was intense. If I had been single, it would have never have occurred. But the whole family's involved, and then I realized, well, Tuesday's coming. This has got to be a part of it. The enemy has ways of getting you if you're you know, encompassed in yourself, he'll come at you through your family and he'll just flick the switches and light you up like a Christmas tree. Paul's saying, I don't have that problem. You got that? I don't want to belabor it. You're looking tired. I don't have videos tonight and that's why I can see you sleeping. (laughs) Verse 29, but this I say, brethren, the time is short so that from now on, even those who have wives should be as though they had none. I'll explain that. Those who weep as though they did not weep. 
Those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice, and those who buy as though they did not possess, and those who use this world as not misusing it, for the form of this world is passing away. And what he's saying is, brethren, the time is short so that from now on, even those who have wives should be as though they had none. He doesn't say, you know what? I'm in the ministry and I don't need this hassle. No, what he's saying is, she's a ministry or he's a ministry. And if this is a struggle, then you don't have a contentious spouse. You've got a ministry. And you're, you're to operate in such a way as to realize everything in life is a ministry. Because most people think, well, I got married because they need to help me. You, you'll never be happy. I got married because I, I, need, I need the help. Good luck with that. Uh, they're going to make me happy. That's why I married them. Again, good luck with that. You're engaging to give your life away, and this is an enormous ministry, and you operate in that capacity. You don't go, oh, I could do so much more if I wasn't. No, no, no. Then act as though you aren't married, and this is your ministry. Get involved in that capacity. And if you're weeping as though you didn't weep, don't let it paralyze you and stop you. Those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice. All these things, nothing hinders you from ministering. And, and that's what God's saying. I just want to go for the happy times in life. I can't handle this because it just brings me sadness. It's a ministry. Deal with it. Uh, I, 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 I got to keep working because I have got to get more possessions. We've got to build our, our retirement. You do, it's not about possessions. It's about people. And those who use this world is not misusing it for the form of this world is passing away. Don't get stuck on the three bedroom, two bath, two car garage, white picket fence. That's not life. Life is people and pouring into them, not things. And you'll get to the end of your life. And if you wanted to eat, drink and be merry, you'll be lonely. But if you want people and you love people and they're not the enemy, but the opportunity and you live in such a way as to serve them utmost, especially the people God's planted you amongst, whether you're a slave or a spouse, that's where you go. And that's your ministry. Verse 32, but I want you to be without care. He who is unmarried cares for the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord, but he who is married cares about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. There's a difference between a wife and a virgin, the unmarried. When he's saying virgin, he's saying somebody who is not, um, not married is a better way to just look at it. One who's married, one isn't married. And, and he's, he's assuming virginity for the, the, the unmarried in the church. And he said, the difference between a wife and a virgin, the unmarried woman cares about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and in spirit. But she who is married cares about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. And this I say for your own profit, not that I may put a leash on you, but for what is proper, that you may serve the Lord without distraction. You get married and you, you start worrying about things that may not necessarily be what God intends. And, and the best way I can describe it is Leah. If I have another child, maybe now my husband will love me. 
Well, he still doesn't notice me. He still doesn't recognize. If I have another child, maybe my husband will love me. Finally, she just gets to a place where she goes, look, he loves Rachel. I've been worried about trying to please him and not the Lord. And I got to just, I got to, you, men, you want to be attractive? Ladies, you want to be attractive? Fall in love with the Lord. Super attractive. I was telling this couple this morning, sitting across the table, I go, look at me. Seriously, and look at the gray hair and the wrinkles and the gut. No, hear me out. I go, who would hit on me? And they're trying to be nice. Oh, you know, you're attractive. I go, here's the funny part. People still flirt. And they're not attracted to this. You know what they're attracted to? What I have. My wife of 28 years, my five kids, a, a life that's making a difference. That They want that. They want that. But they're unwilling to put in the work to get that. This is unattractive. But the substance of, of who we've become is, quit laughing. It's the substance of who we become, and that's what people are drawn to. They want that, but they don't want the hard work involved in it. Does that make sense? They got it, and they're young and attractive. And they're like, whoa, I see that. I go, because look at you. You're ripped, and you're going to have a furniture issue. Your, your chest is going to go into your drawers. Gravity will take hold. And... <laughs> And, and this is what blows my mind. I started to share with them statistics. I said, you know, if you get to the fifth year of marriage, it's one in four. If you get to the tenth year of marriage, it's, it's one in six. If you get to the twentieth year of marriage, it's, it's, it's one in twenty. It just keeps, you know, the longer you're married, the, 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 the smaller the divorce rate becomes. And I look at people who've been married 30, 40 years, and they're getting a divorce. I go... And there's no abuse. There's, I just need to find myself or whatever it is. And I look at him. I go, have you looked in a mirror lately? It was hard being single when I was 20. And you're going to go and really? Do you know what you're doing and what you're throwing away? Are, are you crazy? Do you, what, what out there could possibly appeal to you other than the ministry God's giving you? Oh, yeah, it's tough. But you've, you've got... You've got life together. Stick it out. Just get a hold of yourself. That's my counseling. Don't come in. Get a hold of yourself. Look what you've built. Don't give it up. Don't buy the lie. Die. Deal with it. That's what I was telling this young couple. They got a little scared. Almost finished here. Verse 36. But if any man thinks he's behaving improperly towards his virgin, if she is past the flower of youth and thus it must be, let him do what he wishes. He does not sin. Let them marry. I'm attracted to her. She's, you know, passive stage. I, I just, I'm, yeah, marry her. You, you both been serving the Lord and maybe you're a little long in life and maybe kids like, just marry. It's okay. When you marry isn't an issue. If you're called to marriage, marry. 
God loves marriage. He hates divorce. He gave us marriage. It's the only estate that survived the fall of man, the garden of Eden. He doesn't want us to be alone. And we can't find this gift of, you know, being just simply with the Lord, not somebody else, which is a rare gift indeed, but it is a gift. And if you have that desire, God's saying, Hey, there's room for this verse 37. Nevertheless. And and I also want you to know if you're later in life, you're single and you still have a desire to be married. It's okay. You're not weird. And, and God's got something in store for you. If, if that's a desire, give it to him and watch what happens. God bless you. I see your hand. <laughs> nevertheless, he who stands steadfast in his heart, pay attention to this. Nevertheless, he who stands steadfast in his heart, having no necessity, but has power over his own will and has so determined in his heart that he will keep his virgin does well. So then he who gives her in marriage does well, but he who does not give her in marriage does better. The idea is if you can sustain yourself and suppress that for the sake of serving the Lord. That the, you know, Paul had the gift of singleness, but it didn't mean he never was tempted. I mean, he said, those things I want to do, I don't do. And those things I don't want to do, those I do. And here he is in Corinth and all these prostitutes are coming down. He's like, <laughs> he's a concrete inspector. Oh, that's really good. This is the best concrete I've seen in all of, it's amazing on Europe. And, and they do the stones and such. A, oh, oh, look at that. We're Pompeii. They've got an interesting stone. And where's that? And they even did the stones that were erotic. You couldn't even be a concrete inspector, you know? And, and Paul's saying, if you can suppress that and you have that strength, hey. And why does he say it's better to marry than to burn? Paul had a handle on it. Uh, and then finally, verse 39. A wife is bound by law as long as her husband lives. But if her husband dies, she is at liberty to be married to whom she wishes. Only in the Lord. <laughs> I have been waiting for that bow hunk. I met him in high school. He's not a believer, but I had just been waiting. And then they're separated. I just can't wait to, <laughs> would you die already? This is so exciting. That's not the whole point. That's not what God's saying here. Uh, verse 40, but she is happier if she remains as she is, according to my judgment. And I think also, I also have the spirit of God. And, and really what he's saying is, you know, I, I, I have to give to singleness. And if you have it, I think it's way better. I personally disagree with Paul. I love being married. Paul and I can take it up later. Let me, let me close with this um, in relation to statistics. And there's 54, but I'm not going to go through all of them, reasons why not to, to divorce. The parents are forever related because of the kids, so there's no true separation. This leads to lingering pain and delayed healing and closure. Two, um, the relationship with an ex is like a relationship with someone on life support. It will never be the same, and it will never grow nor be healthy again. At best, it will barely sustain itself. Three, um, divorce is like a scab over a wound. Just as it slowly heals, something opens it back up, starting the healing process all over again. Or in other words, a scab keeps getting picked at and never fully heals. Titles still matter and still sting to some degree, and they never quite feel adequately defining. Divorce or single, single and satisfied or single and searching. I found myself explaining myself and my situation more than I would like to. This is somebody who's been divorced, and they said it's tiresome. Once divorced, you default to the single crowd, which could be single, divorced, never married, and with, without kids. 
finding the right fit to expand your social circle may be challenging. I still have many, many married friends. These are just things that people have shared uh, from the church and school, but I'm rarely invited to married couples or social events. Single life, uh, they point out, they said, dating again in your 40s, 50s, 60s. I didn't like it when I was young. I don't like it now. Uh, This other person said, speaking of dating, I have avoided different events or activities simply because I did not want to go by myself. Yeah, you get a little braver as you get older, but it's still not fun. You know, I, um, it, you know, there's folks have to cope with this and it's hard. And, and I know that we know oftentimes we didn't choose to get divorced or we didn't choose this path. And, and yet same thing, however it happened in your life, you now have a ministry. You don't despise it. You stay in it unless God calls you out of it. Make it the best that it can be. You got that? Kids, in relation to divorce, it's a permanent breakup of a family. Children's sense of security and safety is in family home is permanently damaged or at best altered. How many folks in here have been affected as children by divorce? Could you raise your hand? Please, keep them up. Let everybody see. You've been affected by divorce. It hurt you. This is a small gathering tonight, and that's a pretty big percentage. You can put your hands down. Children's sense of security, safety in the family home. Uh, another one, children's, children forced to constantly shift gears between two homes, two environments, two sets of rules, two different climates, etc. Attention on the kids is partially moved to new challenges, job, girlfriend, boyfriend, home, etc. that are a result of the divorce. If exes are unable to be cordial and sit near each other at a sporting, musical, social events and the kids have to choose one parent over the other to sit with, Daughters of single dads can't have friends uh, sleep over and be involved as much as if their mother was present. Um, the daughter still suffers, even though, you know. The child is often put in the middle of parents. One parent doesn't want to communicate with the other parents, so the child is told to call or to text or to make plans for pickup and drop off. Not fair to the kids. Many times kids don't want to go for the weekend visit because they have no friends at the parents' house. They would rather be home where their friends are, which sometimes leads to Disney dad or Disney mom scenarios. And that's sad. Pets are given away as single parents are unable to care for them. In kids' eyes, it's the same as dying. Divorce often results in kids changing schools, which can bring about stressful change, dealing with new friendships, teachers, coaches, classes, environment, traveling on airplanes alone and cross country to spend time with the other parent. It's usually dad for the standard 30 days each summer, possibly scary, anxiety-filled, travel for children and parents alike. This person said, I've counseled, supported, and cared for it, and hugged many a wounded young person that all have one common theme, no dad or a bad dad. Divorce generally places mom front and center in parenting, protecting, providing. Dad is minimized too often or removed. The wounds seem to last a lifetime and manifest themselves into health and relational problems, addictions, self-harm, even suicide. They interviewed 1,500, no, excuse me, 2,500 people in a study at University of Arizona. And those who divorced were 46% more likely, or they, they died 46 for a 46% greater chance of dying earlier than anyone who remained married. 
It's just devastating on the, the psyche and the body. Um, the weekly transition from house to house is always hard and annoying at best. Children must pick up their life and move it to a different house with a different culture and climate every week. A family's home becomes dad's home, mom's home, not the kids. Holidays without the kids. Holidays will be forever divided. Gift-giving scenarios, birthday, Christmas, become challenging when both parents want to give the same gift or both sides try to outgive the other parent to prove their love. Even if kids are grown, any family holiday with kids and grandkids will require either the absence of an ex or the potential awkward presence of an ex-spouse and perhaps new spouse, asking all family members, adults, and kids to accept the new dynamics. It's always challenging. You have 50% influence instead of 100% influence in your kids' lives, assuming that you see them 50% of the time. You have no control over who they're involved with when they're not under your roof. Very frustrating. Parenting's hard enough as it is, but try parenting when the ex-spouse has different rules at their house. Daily homework is only as good as the one parent who has the child during the school week. That leaves out the influence of the other parent. Are you guys picking this up? It's devastating. How does a single parent possibly work, take care of a house, and take part in after-school, evening, weekend activities for the kids? And worst-case scenario, kids are denied opportunities to take part in activities because logistically impossible for one parent. Two working parents dread summer. Who's going to watch the kids now that they're out of school? Easier for one parent to pass the parenting buck to the other parent person if unwilling to make tough decisions. The diet of the children suffers. Frantic single parents have left less time to cook and balance proper portions. Do you, do you see? Yeah. I, I can go on and on. There's, there's another 35 to read. And, and Paul says, you want to change a culture? Stay married. Because a generation, the, the trees that you're planting, of whose shade you'll never know. Oh, you don't understand how hard it is. Is it this hard? do it.